to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you struggle to know how to raise kids who truly love themselves? Do you struggle with your own body image issues? Do you have a hard time knowing what to say to your kids about a lot of today's issues? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. You've probably heard people say things like, you shouldn't compliment kids on how they look. But my guest today has a different opinion about this, and she'll explain why. I'm talking to Jasmine Simon. She rose to fame on HBO's hit show, Ballers, where she starred with Dwayne Johnson, also known as The Rock. She's also appeared in many films, including Tyler Perry's Acrimony. Jasmine lives in L.A. with her husband, Dulé Hill, whom she met on the set of Ballers. You might recognize him from many of his acting projects, such as The West Wing and The Wonder Years Reboot. They have two children, and they're the inspiration for Jasmine's new book, Most Perfect You. Some of the things she talks about today are how we can help kids develop a healthy love for themselves, how we can learn to love our own bodies more, and how we can tackle tough conversations with kids. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist tape. It's the part of the episode where I'll break down Jasmine's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Jasmine Simon on how to raise confident kids. Jasmine Simon, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I hear so many people say, gee, I'd love to write a kid's book someday. But most people don't ever actually do it. But you did. You wrote this book called The Most Perfect You. And I know you've been marketing it, talking about it and doing lots of author things that we do when books come out. But what kind of a response have you gotten? So far, it's been so good. You know, I have sold thousands of books, which is mind blowing to even say. And all of the responses that I've gotten so far are, thank you. I wish I had this book. Um, I was fortunate enough to do the Today Show. And I went back to my hotel room and I had a message on Instagram from a 67-year-old grandmother. And she said, I just want you to know that, you know, I saw you on the Today Show. I went out to Barnes & Noble. I bought your book. And I have to say, this is the book that I needed when I was a little girl and the book that I need today. And this was a 67-year-old grandmother. So, you know, the, the response has been all that I wanted it to be and more. You know, I'm not surprised because most of us didn't hear this message when we were kids. Even, even as adults, most of us still think, you know, I don't like my nose or I don't like my legs or I wish this was different about me. What inspired you to write this book in the first place? So I have a 17-year-old daughter named Kennedy Irie, who is Irie is in the book, and she's on her way to college, which is mind-blowing to me. But when she was about three years old, we were riding in the car, and she looked at me from the back seat. I see her in the rear view, and she says, Mama, I want to be pretty. I need my skin to be white. And so, okay, how do I handle this complex conversation with a three-year-old in the next five seconds? And so I say to her, well, Kennedy... Um, very patiently, when you were still in my belly, I had a conversation with God. And I told God that I wanted you to have my favorite color of skin. 
and that is what color you are. Brown, that's my favorite color. And I asked for that to be your the color of your skin. And actually everything about you, I asked God for specifically every single thing. So if you don't like something about yourself, you need to talk to me. It's not about you. It's about me because you are all of my favorite things. And she sits in the back seat for a second and she says, okay. And then she let, she lets it go. So fast forward till the summer of 2020. At this time, I have a one-year-old little boy named Levi. And now Kennedy is 15 years old. And it was the beginning of the global pandemic. We had just, oh, on repeat, saw George Floyd get murdered on TV, then Breonna Taylor get murdered by the police. And it was just so much chaos in the world. And I thought, oh my gosh, when Kennedy was three years old, she took everything around her and she equated beauty to a certain thing. Now, what is every kid that's watching the global pandemic, people dying, Black people getting murdered on TV, on repeat? What is this doing to them? Because even if they're not telling us, they're gathering all the information around them. And I turned to my husband and I said, there's so much hurt and anger and pain in the world. I need to write a children's book. I need to let kids know that they are loved and they are, they are perfect and they're not what they see on TV right now. Every I have a little black son. He is not that. That is not your lot in life. That is not your path. You will not be hurt by somebody. You'll not be killed like this. And so I just started getting in my head and I said, I'm going to write a children's book. And I tell you, Amy, I went downstairs and I thought, all right, what am I going to write? And I wrote Most Perfect You. Really? So this isn't something you hadn't been like planning for 15 years after you said that to then turn it into a book. It just came to you when, when you realized the world needed it. It, it came to me and I, and I thank Kennedy. You know, I tell her that she is the best thing that ever happened to me. I had her young in life and she taught me how to grow up. She taught me what love and patience was. But I also told her that conversation, you know, 14 years ago, lived inside of me and it gave me such hope that I could teach other children to love themselves from your pain, right? Sometimes the best things come from uncomfortable situations. And so it lived in me all that time and waited for the right time to come out. I, I hadn't thought about it until I sat down to write a book. <laughs> and in that moment when she said that to you, did it just come to you or is that something you had thought about before? Let me tell you, it just came to me. And some things are ordained. I believe in energy. I believe in God. I believe that everything happens for a reason, even the bad stuff. And I did not know why I said that in that moment. I hadn't thought about it. She was three years old. You know, I, I thought she is black. Bam, I'm black. She, you know, I, I'd never say I wish that I was white or my skin. I need this to be pretty. And so I was like, where is this coming from? And I didn't want to dismiss her, right? I didn't want to be like, you are pretty or no, that's silly. And so I just took the time to try to explain to her that I thought that she was perfect and that if she didn't think it, I thought it. And not to be mad at herself, but to be mad at me. And it just, it kind of just, it, it came to me. One of my highlights in parenting. <laughs> I like that because I do think it's so tempting to tell kids, oh, don't worry about it. Or that's not true when they say they have a fear or when they're struggling with something. We just kind of dismiss it or minimize it if we're not careful. Absolutely. And, and that closes the door on a lot of conversation, right? So I think it's it's a lot about mindful parenting right now, right? That, that's the, the new wave of parenting is mindful parenting. Well, 17 years ago, mindful parenting didn't exist. <clears throat> that wasn't something that was there wasn't Instagram to go on and find your favorite mindful parenting site. But at the time, I think that I always tried to mother Kennedy in the manner of which I would have wanted to be mothered. And I always tried to sit down and explain things to her and talk to her. And in that moment, I'm really grateful 
for the foundation that she, one, felt comfortable to say it, and two, that I took the time to try to get into a three-year-old mind. Sometimes we think that little kids aren't smart. Right. Little kids are as smart as we are. They just don't have the words to articulate the feelings that they have. And if we take the time and we just talk to them like the little humans that they are, you'd be amazed of what they can grasp and understand and articulate to you and explain to you. Obviously, she was in some sort of pain, right? Obviously, she wasn't happy with herself. And so in that moment, I had an opportunity to try to get her to love herself more. So, And then how about over the years? Because I suspect that wasn't the last time she ever said something like that. Did you keep always making sure that you gave her that same message? You know what? Yes and no. It's it's funny that you asked that because with the book coming out, we've had a lot of conversations about loving herself. And anytime I would have to go out of town for work, I would write a note and I say, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Um, And so over the years, that's a message. You are loved. You are strong. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are chosen. I would tell her all of these things to try to inspire her to, when the outside world tells you who you are, don't listen. You know who you are. But I never really had this type of conversation. Like, are you happy with your brown skin? Or are you happy? So a year ago, I'd say, I think she was 16. And I said, hey, you know, the book had gotten sold. And I said, let's sit down and let's talk. Is there anything about yourself that you would change? Anything. And she sat for a second now, you know, she's a a mature young lady at this time. She thinks about it. And in my house, we know not to answer quickly because if she answers quickly, I'm like, that's not a thought through answer. Like, I want you to really think about it. So she thinks for a second. Now, my daughter Kennedy is six feet tall. She's always been taller than everybody. She wears a size 12 in women's shoes. She has a, like a big foot. Um, She goes to a predominantly white high school. She has a white boyfriend. So there's a lot of things that someone would suspect that she would want to change about herself. And she sits there and she says, no. There's, there's nothing. And she said, I'm going to tell you that when I was in the third grade, every night I would pray that I would wake up and I would be white the next day. And that hurt me because I had this conversation with her when she was three. Now, third grade is about eight or nine. And so from three to nine, I had no idea that she was still thinking the thoughts, right? And then, so now at 16, she had overcome her dislike of herself from, from a lot of different ways. We put her in therapy for anxiety. Like there's a lot of things that we did along the way. But from that time from three, I thought, oh, that dodged a bullet there. And I didn't think to continue to ask the questions. Now, because I have experienced this with Kennedy, I know with Levi to ask a lot of follow-up questions. One really strong conversation doesn't fix the problem, right? And so that, you know, so yes and no to answer your question. Yes, we talked about it, but maybe not as soon as I should have. Well, good points. What kinds of things do you think we should be asking our kids? You said you ask questions. What kinds of questions do we ask? You know, I, I would say, so we started this thing with Levi. What's the, he's, he's three. So most of these conversations are, I don't want to, no, no, no. But I say, what was your favorite part of today? Think of the thing that made you happiest today. And then, okay, he'll tell me. Yesterday, he went to a birthday party. It was bunnies there, the bunnies. <laughs> what was your, your least favorite part of the day? Well, I didn't get another M&M, right? So he's three. So we're just asking him really simple, rudimentary questions to try to figure out what you like and what you don't like. With Kennedy, we ask more complex questions. How are you feeling today? You know, are you excited to go to college? Are you scared to go to college? What do I need to teach you? What do you feel like you're lacking? 
And so I think with age appropriateness, we just ask all the questions. I think that I got some things right in parenting with Kennedy. Like we have a safe space to talk about sex and drugs. And, you know, when she started high school, right, there is, you know, she came home. I hope this is appropriate to talk about, but we're, we're going there, right? About Let's go. Let's go. So when she was in the ninth grade, she goes to Harvard Westlake, which is one of the top high schools in the country. It's very academic focused. And um, she, I pick her up from school and I say, how's school today? She's like, great. You know, I won't say name. A young lady was giving oral sex in a gender neutral bathroom. And so we live on, like on a hill. So I almost crash off the side of the hill because I'm like, oh, God, again, I'm not prepared for this conversation, but OK. And I said, what? Oh, my gosh. And I had to check myself in that moment. And I said, well, Kennedy, I'm going to tell you the truth. At a certain age, everybody gives oral sex. I don't care what anybody tells you. But if you do it in high school, everybody's going to know about it because it's going to be the coolest thing that has ever happened to this young man, right? It's going to be the coolest thing. He's going to have to tell everybody. So you need to make a decision if that's what you want to do. And if it is, that's okay. And I accept that because everybody's going to do it, right? So these are the type of conversations that over the years, and she says, no, I don't think so. I don't think, you know, but you have to be open to conversations because I don't want her to get her information from outside of this house, right? So go ahead. Yeah, that's the thing. Kids get the message of, Drugs are cool. Doing all of this stuff is awesome. It's fun. And if you say to them, like, no, drugs are bad, well, then they're like, no, my friend said they're cool. So you don't know what you're talking about. And my friends are smarter. You're not in the loop anymore. And they get these messages from other people. And then, but when you can say to them, well, actually, when you do these certain things, you might have fun, you might enjoy it. However, here's the downside to it. Then they see you as much more credible. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think when, when we're trying to teach our children to love themselves, right? Because that's what, that's what Most Perfect You is about. I, I want kids and the adults who read them, right? When we read this book, it says, stop comparing yourself to other people. That's the, the main message. You are perfect. You are not perfect compared to that person or to this thing. You are perfect. We are reclaiming what perfect means. You are perfect. Okay, let's just clear the table. Now you are perfect for all the things that make you you. And so this goes with drugs or sex or alcohol or anything. You are perfect. You don't need anything in addition to what. You don't need to have sex to make you a cooler person. You don't need to do drugs to make you a better person. You don't need to drink to make you more of an appealing or fun or a loose loosen up, right? These are all the same foundation is the same. But I also tell her some people will do drugs, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to do drugs because I didn't make you to be them. I made you to be you. Now, if you choose to do drugs, you have to do drugs knowing all of the consequences that come along with that. And so we have had numerous conversations. We live in California where marijuana is legal, right? And this is not a conversation at pro or con. The fact is it's legal in, in California. So I have told her many times, I do not partake in marijuana. I don't smoke weed. That's not my thing. But if you choose to do it, I need you to go to a store and buy it, right? Simple things, right? Some may disagree with that parenting. Some are going to say, don't do it. I, we live in a state that it's legal to do. So I would rather you go to the store when you're legally able to do that than get it from the street because people are dying from fentanyl overdoses. These are the type of conversations that we have on a regular basis with our child. Because in a couple of weeks, she's going to go off to college. And then she's going to go to college and she's not going to be in our house anymore. It's just going to be a whole new world. And I don't want her to find out for the first time outside of my house what the world is about. I need her to learn 
inside of the house. I need to continue to lay the, conver- the like lay the foundation, have the conversations, know that you don't need to be cool. Cool drugs don't make you cool. I made you cool. I made you cool before you were even born. <laughs> I love that message. So I teach a lot of college classes and in research, they found that like 90% of college students said, yeah, I was academically prepared for college. But like the same amount say, yeah, but emotionally, I was not prepared at all. And we're finding just that, that so many kids go off to college. And the only reason that they've sort of followed the rules is because they didn't want to get in trouble. And then they get away from mom and dad and they're all, woo, nail holds barred. Let's go out there and see what life has to offer and get themselves in all sorts of messes. And then they don't know what to do about it because they've never really struggled or had these emotional challenges before. It's scary, isn't it? It's, it's actually scary. So for the last couple of months, I thought, I told my husband, I said, you know, we're going to give her a lot of space. We're going to have as much space as she wants. She went to prom uh, two weeks ago. We didn't give her a curfew. It's like, when do you feel like you want to come home, right? I told her the other day, you need to stop asking me. She said, can I go to the movies on Friday? I said, from here on out, don't ask me. You tell me what you're going to do. You say, I'm going to be going to the movies at this time. Do you need anything from me before I go? I'm going to be doing this. Do you need anything? Because she's actually going to college. She has to be in college on June 19th. She graduates June 10th. She has to be checked into her dorm on June 19th because she's going to a summer school class at Northwestern. And so she's like out of here in the month. She'll be, and I said, in a month, you will not have to ask me to do anything. I need you to go take a road trip. Take a trip to Santa Barbara with your friends. Go get a flat tire. See what that's like. I need you to book a flight out. I don't care if it's to San Jose on Southwest. Go book a flight. I need you to do all these things because you're going to leave this house. I need to know that you know how to do all these things. And that's one thing that people don't prepare you for as a parent. You know, they get you prepared that the baby's going to cry all night. They get you prepared that you need to feed this baby. They get you prepared for kindergarten. What they don't get you prepared for, in my opinion, is sending a child off into the world. Like, how do you do that? What do you, how do you make sure that they're mentally capable of leaving your house and knowing how to be an adult? I feel like we need to do a better job at that. Like you mentioned, kids get out there and they, they fall. And it's a hard fall because they've never fallen before. Mom and dad aren't there to catch them. It's like, no, we need to prepare these children because you have the kids that are killing themselves. The, the soccer player at Stanford gets in trouble and kills herself. You have the track star in Wisconsin that killed herself in a moment of desperation. How do we prevent this? What can we do? One, we tell our children that you are perfect, not compared to anybody else from a really young age. Beside that, what do we do? We have to help our children. They are struggling. They are hurting. They're not prepared. Like, this generation of children are worried about the environment. They are worried about climate change. They are worried about illnesses, about, about COVID and the, the pandemics of the world. They are worried about the political landscapes of this country. Again, if a three-year-old can tell me, I need this to be pretty, trust me that a 17-year-old knows everything that's going on in the world and it affects them. So how do we prepare them for the world. I wish that on this podcast, I could say, this is what we do. I think it's a, a, a cumulative effort from everybody to say, this is what we need to do. This is how we help them stone by stone to build this mountain that they are then going to have to hurdle themselves over. I think so too. 
How do we give them that message that, that you are perfect without saying, well, you have to be perfect? So we need to reclaim what perfect means, right? I, I think that perfect, when I wrote this book, right, I wrote the book first without having a title for the book. And then I titled the book, Most Perfect You. And my book went to auction, which means a couple of people wanted to, to, to buy the book. And I remember I had a conversation with one um, publishing house and they were like, well, perfect. Could we change the name? You know, it has a negative connotation attached to perfection. And I said, yep. no, no. What I want to do is rename, re- reclaim what perfect means. Let's reframe what's perfect. So again, I have a daughter who wears her hair in a natural and she's six feet tall and she's got a 12 size shoe. She is perfect. She is not perfect compared to anyone else. She is perfect just as she is. You know, we, I, I hate to bring up the Kardashians. I really do. But, but they are a standard of beauty right now, right? They are a standard. Like people are like, that's what beautiful is. I'm going to tell you, I'm a black woman and I've had a butt on me for my entire life. 15 years ago, my butt wasn't cool, right? That was not the standard of beauty to have a big old butt, right? So Mix-A-Lot had a song called Baby Got Back, right? That was not the norm. That was like obsolete. To have full lips was obsolete. Now, you see the Kardashians who never one time have said, this is not my real lip. These are not real. This, these aren't, this is not my real butt. This is, I get laser and liposuction and I get all this stuff and I have a professional hairdresser and I have a professional makeup artist and I have someone following me with a light to make sure my lighting is right. And when our children see that, they don't see what goes into the picture. They just see the picture. They see a still, you know, little tiny picture and they think that's what perfect is. That's what perfect is for someone that has had all this opportunity to get all this work done all this Photoshop, all of this. What we need to teach our children before we give them a phone and an iPad, we have to have a foundation of you are perfect. Look at those eyes. Those eyes are perfect. I don't care if one eye is going to the left and one eye is going to the right. I made them to do that. I made them and I think they're perfect. I don't care if your nose is smushed to your face or out six inches. I made that nose. I picked that nose. Now, you can give this message to a three-year-old and let it absorb. It's harder to give to a 14-year-old. You're going to be like, so you have to start young. All these messages need to start at before they get the device, in my opinion, before they get the laptop, before they get on Instagram, before they get on TikTok and Snapchat and all these things, because the world is going to come at them really fast. Before they get these things, we need to tell our children, I picked you everything about you. I had a say in everything. I got to create a masterpiece. And I want you to walk to the mirror and look at the masterpiece. You are literally perfect. Amy, I'm looking at you. You are perfect. There is nothing about you that I think, oh, she needs to change this. All I see is perfection, not compared to anybody else, but just looking at you. I see really pretty eyes. That's, those are The color of your eyes are perfect. When I got on, I like, those are some good eyebrows, you know? <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. But that's the truth. But we need to know that inside of ourselves from a very young age, that that is pretty and that is pretty and I am pretty and I am perfect and that is perfect and that is perfect. And the only way you do that is telling them all the time. 
I tell, we, we go through a list of affirmations. We did the same with Kennedy with our three-year-old son, Levi. I am strong. I am brave. I am handsome. I'm gifted. We like go through these things every single day because I want it to be a still small voice in the back of my children's head that when somebody else tries to tell them different, mm -mm, I know who I am. I am beautiful. I tell my son, you are so beautiful. How often do you hear little boys told that they're beautiful? Hardly ever. I tell him, I look at your face and you are beautiful. All I see is beauty and joy in your face. We need to normalize telling our children that. I have friends that are like, their children are beautiful, by the way. This, this woman that I'm going to mention, not by name. And she said, when my kids were growing up, I never told them that they were pretty. I didn't want them to get a big head. And I heard that and it hurt me because growing up, that's how I was raised. My, my grandmother raised me, bless her, and she did her very best. But she would say, someone say, she's so pretty. No, she's not. No, she is not. And, and she would say that, I guess, in her mind to keep me humble. But what it did is set me up for a bunch of bad relationships because I never knew that I was pretty. I never knew it. And my husband to this day, like, you are so pretty. I'm like, you, you just, it's because you love me. And he'd be like, no, I, I think you're pretty, right? But growing up, I had heard over and over, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. And what someone tried to do for my benefit actually was for my detriment in a lot of ways because now the most perfect you is just as much for me as it is for every child that reads it. It's a reminder to me too. You are perfect, not compared to anybody else. You are perfect by yourself. And so I, I, I do think that the way we fix this is we continually tell our children, you are loved, you are beautiful, you are perfect. I love those eyes. Look at those feet. Look at that stutter. I, listen, the world may not like, I love it. I actually picked it. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I think it's great. Now, what about to somebody who's listening who says, but I don't want to comment on my child's appearance. I want to talk about how it doesn't matter how you look. It just matters how you act or if you're a kind person. What do you say about that? I say that's not right because, I, I, and, and listen, and I get it. I get it. It's like, we don't want, but when your child walks into a room, the first thing that someone's going to see is their appearance and they're going to have an opinion on it. And, and kids are cruel. That's just a fact. Some kids are cruel. There's still bullies in the world. You know, I hope bit by bit we can change that because the bully needs to be loved too, right? Someone that's full of love doesn't bully. I don't care what anybody says. That's just not the way that it works. So we need to fill up all these children. And I get, you want your, kill, your children to know that they're smart. I want my daughter to know that she's smart. So I tell her that she's smart, but I also want her to know that she's pretty. So I tell her that she's pretty. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be, I'm only going to tell you you're smart and never tell you you're pretty. Because the world, if we like it or if we hate it, is built on how you look too. And if we don't tell them that they're pretty, they're going to think the other way. I never thought to tell my child, brown is beautiful. I never thought to tell her that. So she thought on her own that it wasn't. Take it as a life lesson that I'm giving you, listeners. If you don't tell them, they're going to think something regardless. So you might as well tell your daughters, you are so strong. You are so strong. You are so brave. You are so smart. You are so gifted. You are so beautiful. What's wrong with that? Right? We, and, and I know I'm a feminist. 
I know like we want we want to be held to our brains, right? And and we should be. But that doesn't negate that we are still feminine and soft and beautiful and striking and all, all the things that that make us who we are. And and I, I I was thinking, you know, I seen some and I'm going to be honest, right? Because I think honesty is what we need. I saw someone and I thought not attractive. Mm-hmm. My first thought, not attractive. And she was she's such a smart, brilliant woman. And I thought, why do I think she's not attractive? And I thought, because society has taught me that that nose isn't attractive. Society has taught me that that skin is not good skin, quote unquote, good, you know. And then I had to retrain myself in that moment to say, she is beautiful. She is not what society has told me was beautiful. But if I take the lens back and say, society can't tell me what's perfect. I get to choose what's perfect. She is beautiful. And so I think it's really a retraining of the way we think about things and the way that we see things. Who's to say, right? What, like, like I mentioned the butt, right? Baby got that. Right. 20 years ago. No, 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 that's not beautiful. Today is beautiful. Like today, people are risking their lives getting a Brazilian butt lift to get a big old fake butt, right? Isn't that so crazy? And then 20 years ago, everybody's doing Jane Fonda and the, and the, <laughs> and the, what was the thigh master, right? To get rid of, yep. to get rid of, right? They're running it off. It's like, we need to reclaim right now what perfection is. And that goes back to the book. Like what's perfect? We need to let a baseline, like times are going to change, but Bootcut jeans used to be big when I was in, you know, school and then they were out, but now they're back again. It's like, it, you gotta, it, unless you're going to have whipla- whiplash and like try to fit in everywhere, you need to set the foundation right now. Yes, you are beautiful. You are also smart. You are also strong. You're brilliant. You're a great musician, but you have to say it. If not, you're they're going to get caught in the undertow of what beauty is, you know, parent. And I get it. And I really do. And I, and I, and I feel for every parent that's like, I don't want to tell my kid that, but if you don't, somebody else is. I agree. All right. One last question then for parents. I know that sometimes uh, grownups are guilty of saying things about ourselves in front of our kids. Like, oh, these pants make my butt look bad. Or I have to go put on makeup because before I scare someone, we make these sort of off the cuff comments. How do we become more aware of those and be more careful of what we're saying about ourselves in front of other people, especially kids? Two things. Two things. One, you are perfect, right? You got to keep telling my, yourself that. Even if these jeans aren't flattering because it's something, some clothes aren't flattering and we get that. Sometimes I put, I'm like, this is not a flattering outfit. That has nothing to do with me. Has right. nothing to do with me. I picked a bad outfit. Has nothing to do with me. I can go get another outfit that is flattering. But this outfit that I picked for me is not flattering. And so you aren't going to scare anybody with your face. Your face is actually pretty. Someone has told you and made you believe that you need makeup to look your best self. That is not true. That is not true. That is not the truth. The truth is, is the way that you woke up is perfect. Now, anything that you add on top of that is a cherry on top. That's the first thing. The second thing is we do have to be really careful about what we say in front of our children. Now, I think Kenny was maybe in the second, second grade. And she was in dance. And I overheard a kid in her dance class at Debbie Allen Dance Academy say, 
I look fat. Like, I look fat. And I thought, oh, my God, already? Like, these are seven-year-olds. Oh, my gosh. And I told myself, you will, Kennedy will never hear you talk about the size of your body because all bodies are the right size. All bodies are the right size. No, again, no matter what society tells you, all bodies are, the, there is not one size that fits all. Health is all that matters, not size. So I told myself, you will not talk about your body size, shape, anything like that around Kennedy. And I've been really good about that until the last couple of years. Now she's 17. It's like, she's becoming my friend a little bit. And I was like, man, I, you know, my hair is all messed up. And she's like, I think it's great. And I said, you know what? It is great. My bad. Because she will check me. She will keep it balanced for me. And I, you know, and I feel like now she's my friend and I can say these things and I have to remind myself, no, no, I'm still an example for her. And I think as parents, we should be very mindful of what we say to our children. We should just, it's really being mindful what you say to your children. And if you don't have children, what you say to yourself. I think that I am in the process of continuing. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to be working on myself. And I'm in the process of like, whenever I have a thought, I just rip it up. If I don't like it, I visualize myself looking at it like a weed and I rip it up. And I said, that, that thought does not serve me. I'm going to change like Dr. Joe Dispenza change. And like, we can't do that anymore. And I think as parents or people that don't have children, we just need to change the way we see things. And it's not easy. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I have it all figured out and that I have mastered it, but we need to change the way we beat ourselves up. Why? Why have we let somebody else tell us what good is, what pretty is, what perfection is? No, I'm telling every listener from the bottom of my heart, you are pretty. Yes, you are. And I, and I mean that with such passion. I wish they could see me going crazy over here. It's like, but that's the truth, Amy. Like, why, why can't we lean into that? Why can't we lean into like, girl, I am so pretty. I am so smart. I am so strong. Like, what happens if we do that? What happens if we tell ourselves that over and over and over? One, we don't tell our kids, oh, let me put some makeup on before I scare somebody. Because you know that you're not going to scare anybody. You know that you're good enough just the way you are as you woke up. Now, if you want to put on makeup, do it. I love like dolling myself up. But that doesn't make me any more pretty than I was when I first woke up. It just gives me a little something extra. We just really need to work on ourselves. You know, I, I think that's what it is. We need to reframe ourselves. And it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. I want everyone listening to know that I take mental health very seriously. And I feel like we all need someone we can talk to. We all need somebody we can lean on. But when you're in your quiet time, you have a choice. Right. And if you and if you take the time to like, OK, I have a choice right now. I can beat myself up or I can try really hard not to please try really hard not to. Thank you so much, Jasmine. I feel like our appearance is a subject that a lot of people shy away from talking about. But like you say, it's it's right there. It's an issue. So we might as well talk about it. And how yeah. do you practice self-acceptance? So thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for writing Most Perfect You. I hope all of our listeners who are parents and even those who aren't go out and get a copy and read it for themselves. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here today. And I just really hope that everyone listening knows that you are worthy and you are special and strong and beautiful just the way you are, just the way you are. <laughs> 
I agree. A message that we should never get tired of hearing. And when you say it, you say it with such conviction that I have no doubt whoever's listening is going to believe it. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is a part of the show where I'll break down Jasmine's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Jasmine's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, give your kids a note with a positive affirmation. I love that Jasmine tells her kids to remember who they are. Instead of saying, you're amazing, she's telling them to remember that they're amazing. And I love the idea of writing a positive note for your kids. My mom used to do this for me when I was a kid. She would write a little note and put it in my lunchbox. My mom's been gone for almost 20 years now, but I still have some of those notes that she used to write to me. There's something about reading reassuring words from a loved one, especially a parent, that can give you confidence when you need it. Just make sure you don't tell them things like, you're going to ace that math test today. Then they'll feel even worse if they don't ace it. Instead, you might tell them to do their best or to try their hardest. If they don't do well, it's an opportunity to grow and learn. Number two, ask thought-provoking questions. When you ask your kids, how was your day? You're likely to get a quick answer like, good, or maybe just a shrug or a grunt. If you really want kids to open up, you need to ask more thought-provoking questions. Of course, you don't want to just sit down and start peppering your kids with deep questions if they're not used to that, though. They'll likely run away. You can start introducing more thoughtful questions slowly. Show them a picture of a cool place you'd want to visit and ask them the number one place they'd like to visit. Or, as Jasmine suggested, ask questions like, what was the best part of your day? You're more likely to get kids to talk when you aren't just sitting there talking. One of the easiest ways to encourage kids to talk in therapy is that we just color pictures together. When they're looking at their paper and they're coloring, they're more likely to talk than if we were just sitting there face to face. You might find your kids are more interested in talking when you're playing catch, walking around the neighborhood, or just riding in the car when you aren't sitting across from each other at the dinner table. And number three, build credibility with your kids. I like how Jasmine talked about being honest with kids about tough subjects. This is how you build credibility. If you just tell your kids don't do drugs or partying is bad, they'll think you don't know what you're talking about. After all, their peers are telling them things like, actually, drinking is fun. So it's important to acknowledge the pros and cons of doing things. I know it sounds scary, like the last thing you want to do is tell your teenager that there are upsides to drugs or alcohol. But when you acknowledge why people do those things, then they're more likely to believe you about the risks too. Say things like, drugs might make you feel good for a minute, but they can have serious consequences on your health and you might get into trouble then they're more likely to listen to you. So those are three of Jasmine's strategies that I highly recommend. Write a note with a positive affirmation, ask thought-provoking questions, and build credibility with your kids. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Jasmine's book, Most Perfect You. The target audience is for younger kids, like up to third grade, but I'm positive big kids, including grown-ups, will love it too. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.